0: First, I was a Catholic girl. Loved the mass, I watched the swirl of smoke from candles burning. While Mary looked up, yearning, I got confirmed and I confessed. I really felt that I was blessed Plus I love my uniform So did the boy who lived next door But something
1: changed When I became of age And all those things I thought were true Someday I'd break the big tie
2: Okay, and we're up. This is the uh, Free Thought Radio Hour. My name is Larry Rhodes or Doubter Five, and I'm here with the bearded Boy Scout today. Since Wombat is on the road, hello, bearded. How you doing? <laughs> this is WZO Radio 103.9 FM and live in Knoxville, low power FM. That is, and the Free Thought Radio Hour is an atheism show. We talk about atheism, free thought, humanism, rational thought, and science. And conversely, we'll also talk about religion, religious faiths, gods, holy books, and superstition. And despite what Steve Martin would have you think, there are an awful lot of atheist songs out there, and you'll hear some of them right on this program, and also on the station generally. We'll also be talking about atheist and rationalist groups that reside right here in Knoxville, and how you can connect with them. Did you know that there was an atheist television show broadcasting here in Knoxville, and has been for six years? What? Yes, (laughs) that's right. Uh, We'll talk about that too a little bit later on the show, about how you can uh, tune in and watch it, and maybe even participate. Uh, Today we'll be talking about personal journeys. Um, They're painful. You can lose friends, families, and potentially jobs. But what's the upside?
3: Well, the upside is is that on the other side of the darkness it is that detransition or you know, separation from your old worldview. You get new community, new friends, and they share your new secular worldview and you don't have to live a lie anymore and that's that's great
2: yep uh, one thing that always really bugged me about uh, living in the atheist closet is that you start assuming that the people around you are all Christians even just as people around you assume that you're Christian, but then when you come out you find out that maybe one or two of those people are actually atheists all along you know?
3: absolutely that, that's very surprising. There are folks that are kind of uh, in hiding in very similar situations to what many folks who have come out in recent years. As atheists uh, have experienced, mm-hmm.
2: and so. But you'd never know it if you stayed in the closet. You not d- at all. You would not have that conversation. So uh, I've talked to my uh, audience a few times about my conversion. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about yours? What was your uh, original religion that you were in?
3: Yeah, I was actually a fundamentalist Pentecostal. Uh, so not not snake handlers, but uh, you know we uh, we had the shouting and uh, and you know speaking in tongues and. Uh, some of the more conservative uh, dress codes and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've never been to a Pentecostal, uh, but weren't they back uh, called Holy Rollers back in back the twenties and thirties yeah. yeah. of last century?
3: It was a very, a very true statement. Yeah. Um, when you hear the term Holy Roller, you can go to even today some of even your less conservative Pentecostal churches and see you know uh, outward expressions of worship that are that are very similar to the term Holy
2: rolling." Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, back during the Scopes trial, which was about, uh, gosh, it was 50 years ago now, like 48 years, maybe 50 years ago now. It was in 25, I think, 1925. So it had to have been about like 90 years ago. Um, Before and, my time. Uh, yeah, uh, and a little <laughs> south of here, too, in Dayton, Tennessee. <laughs> um, the, the WGN reporter that came to... Uh, report on the scopes trial but he went to a pentecostal uh, um, meeting and he said it was like the wildest thing he ever saw but uh one in particular one woman he talked to who was a woman preacher which is unusual even i mean for that day and time but uh she was talking about the bible and he'd ask her he had asked her in his book and i'm trying to remember his name can you remember the wgn reporter that went I don't remember. I sure don't. I've done it. If you know the answer, call in. Uh, He's a very famous uh, reporter, correspondent from from that time. Anyway, he went to uh, the Holy Roller meeting, and he talked to this lady preacher, and he asked her if she'd ever read a book besides the Bible. And she said, well, truth is in the Bible, and I'm not sure I'll find truth in any other book. So if I read some other book and it doesn't have truth in it, then then I've been distracted from the Bible. Sure. So the answer was no. She'd never read any other book besides the Bible.
3: And that's very much a product of the indoctrination that most of your fundamentalist churches participate in. They really drive home this concept of, of, um, you know, truth exists in God's Word and only God's Word. So it creates this mentality that you have to be suspect of any other... um, in outside outside information, so mm-hmm. yeah, many many Christians, you know, they'll they'll read books that are, are written by people who are referencing the Bible as their point of source material, but outside of that, there, that they just isn't interest in reading other books. It's just not there. Um, you'll find in some of the in the hierarchy of the churches and the pastors and the deacons and some of the folks who are involved in leadership, they'll read some books, you know, about leadership that are maybe secular. For the business aspect of running a church, but outside of that, your your lay person in the pew is really not looking to get much information outside of that Bible when it comes to their spiritual beliefs,
2: and they're discouraged from doing so, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um. So Pentecostal was your your starting religion. Have you have you tried or experimented with any other religions?
3: Well, I was I was born into the Pentecostal church as they say. Um, some of them say you were born on a pew. Um, <laughs> and I, I was one of those. You know, that was kind of uh, that was where I wound up after after I came out of the hospital for being born was at the right. Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm.
2: After being branded, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
3: you know, um, I didn't get a chance to make that decision for myself. Like right. So many people don't have that opportunity either.
2: Mm-hmm. Most but, um, people.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was actually I was born uh, three months premature. I only weighed a pound fifteen ounces when I was born. So that, uh, and on top of that, my parents were told early on that they couldn't have any children. Um, they ended up getting pregnant later in life after about twenty years of marriage. So that really compounded the effect of. Their indoctrination when it came to me because it was like, oh hey, we have ourselves a real legitimate miracle a miracle here, here. Yeah. and it didn't just stop at home; it went to yeah. church with me, you yeah. know. So,
2: how early were you born?
3: Uh, I was I was born three months premature. Three so months, six months. I was
2: wow. born in six months. Wow, lucky you're alive. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you you were actually prophesied. <laughs> yes, I was.
3: I absolutely was. Um, yeah, that was uh, you know that kind of stuff really plays into your thinking personally, especially when you're told at a young age. You
2: know like your parents were oh yeah but like, oh, oh, yeah but yeah. well, I me mean, specifically
3: mm-hmm. you know, hey you you know, you shouldn't be here mm-hmm. god's got special plans for you yeah. you know the people in your church are always you know man we're so proud of you god's mm-hmm. got things in store for you and as a young kid that really plays on your mentality you don't really have a chance to develop your own opinions about yourself mm-hmm. before somebody else has kind of superimposed their views on you right and that makes for a that makes for a struggle later in life if you you don't follow the plan that people have for you
2: right or that god has for you that yeah. makes it even doubly worse but of course it's people telling you that not absolutely. god yeah um you uh i was talking about the prophecy though you had a, a traveling preacher come through or something yeah. and tell your parents that they were going to have a baby yeah and a couple of years later they got pregnant absolutely
3: you know they, they'd come through uh the preacher had come through town as they do from time to time and uh he was one of those uh Prophets for profit and uh, <laughs> came through town and decided that uh, my parents, you know, he caught wind through folks in the church that my parents were, had wanted a baby for many years and, and he prophesied over them in church and, and it just so happened a couple of years later they got pregnant with me. But to some folks, it was divine intervention. So, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. yeah, you never count the misses on a case like that. You only no, count uh, the hits.
3: Uh, yeah, that's that's one of my complaints. You know, we always uh, we tend to give God credit for when things go really well, but when things go really badly, we just mm-hmm. say, "Well, God is mysterious." And that's right.
2: really a, right. That's right. Really a confusion of the yeah. issues. It, well, it's it's like the usual uh, Christian attitude toward God. You don't you don't blame him for the bad things. You blame Satan right. or <laughs> your own self. Sure. Or yeah. uh, but you never blame him for anything bad. You just blame, you give him the credit for the good things. And of course, you can't lose in a situation like that. Uh, even if you're imaginary, <laughs> you can't lose. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, you've got
3: you've got defenders that are going to. They're going to side with God regardless. There are those who are going to question God, but it's never going to be vocalized. Mm-hmm. And I think the ones that vocalize it eventually turn out like myself, where they, when you start to let those doubts creep in and then you acknowledge those doubts and then you vocalize those doubts, by the time you vocalize in your doubts, you're really on the road to deconversion in my mind because um, you're allowing yourself to question what you've been told. That's, yep. the, that's the first Major step yeah. in deconversion.
2: Well, the thing about verbalizing it and and verbalizing your doubts is that then you're in a position to hear their answers. Absolutely. I mean, you never you never really get those particular questions addressed addressed until no. you verbalize them. Absolutely. And then you find that the the answers that they give you are quite wanting in quality and and veracity. Uh, anyway, so what started you to first doubt your your beliefs?
3: Well. Um, in school, uh, I spent my first uh, five years or six years of uh, elementary school and preschool in a secular uh, school, and I learned all the stuff that you do in fifth grade biology and, uh, you know, in fifth grade science, and, you know, so I had, I had a good grasp of the sciences um, for that age group, and um, really enjoyed what I had been learning, but uh, I uh, ended up going to a uh, a christian school uh in middle school and in, in high school i was homeschooled um using the same curriculum from the middle school and the group which i, I won't mention their name um but uh, they were a young earth creationist um school uh, so their entire science uh, uh curriculum was based around young earth creationist thinking and this was really one of the first things that popped into my mind was wait a minute this is not true i i'm I've been told differently than this, right. and I'm pretty convinced in what I've been told, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So that was really that was really one of the first yeah. you know, twinges of doubt that mm-hmm. came into
2: my mind. Well, one of the, thing you, one of the things is that you, you had a secular education before you started getting your, right. your homeschooling from this creationist. Uh, the thing about it is, they could just turn around and say, yeah, you were brainwashed by the secular schools before you ever came here. You should have come here first. But the thing about it is, in school if, if it's done right and they they give you information but they also give you the foundation of that information how we we as a society and as a people as humanity came to realize that what they're teaching you is true and it's hard worn facts absolutely. It, it, it's a lot of people lived and died to get that information to be able to bring to you
3: absolutely it
2: wasn't personal revelation from the creator of the universe which nobody can verify
3: precisely yeah or for that matter it's you know uh, second-hand communications from a you know 2,000 year old book mm-hmm. and, and you know truth be told that Science has a very particular process about which it concludes, you know, proposals of truth. You know, we, uh, science doesn't even really claim absolute truth, which is something the Bible does all the time. Um, science says we have enough facts to suppose this is the case
2: until it's, disproved. until it's disproved. And who gets the most rewards in the scientific community?
3: Well, the ones that prove a previous theory uh, invalid.
2: Right, um, because they're bringing more truth to light. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I think it was Richard Dawkins was talking about a previous professor that he had who, after being shown that his 20-year theory was wrong in class, walked up to the student and shook his hand and said, thank you so very much for showing me what is true, I'm, I'm I was wrong for twenty years, yeah. but you know, now I see what is now closer to the truth as we understand it, as yeah. we know it.
3: I love that story. I read that in his book. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's and that's a very a real palpable experience, and you can accept that what you know is wrong. Religion doesn't give you that opportunity. It assumes absolute truth, and absolute perfect truth uh, via divine, you know. Uh, divine authorship of of these holy books and that really Mm -hmm. gives you this sense of
2: well even at that point uh, you've got people interpreting them 16,000 different ways now one thing I like to say about science is that all the different sciences out there when they have their body of knowledge and they have new discoveries and they they understand the information that's coming to them generally grow to a common point their common understanding I call the physicists in the world understand the basics of, you know, how the universe works now and they agree on it. However, if you don't agree with your preacher, if you think that God tells you something different than the preacher, Uh-oh. uh, you <laughs> just start a new church. Yeah, you absolutely. just rent a new building, get a new uh, congregation and you've got a new religion going.
3: Hire a new choir director. Right. How, how many
2: getting? religions? I mean, we started off with one. Well, let's say we started off with three or four major religions. Mm-hmm. Now it's splintered. Over the last couple of three centuries, uh, millennia, into hundreds of well, thousands, thousands of religions, and there are a thousand, ten thousand like different denominations of Christianity, Christianity alone. alone in America. Yeah. It's just amazing how, how that works.
3: I always say to my Christian friends that you know I'm in conversations with. I'm always very impressed with the Muslim community because they had not splintered as much as, which they are a younger religion. I think time does that.
2: Yeah, well they have splintered into at least three. Um, Shia, Sunni. Sunni, and Elena. I was, re- I was reading about that today, listening to it. Uh, matter of fact, on this station. Uh, but that and this new one, this Elena or Elena's, if somebody can correct me on that, please call in, 333-5937, is a new, um, new-ish a branch of Islam that is very liberal. They don't cover their heads. The women don't. um, They don't pray. They don't uh, fast. So uh, that's just the new flavor of Islam that's coming out. And and they certainly don't kill as many people (laughs) as the other two branches.
3: Yeah, I'm really encouraged. For for years as a Christian, I was kind of discouraged by the number of denominations in Christianity because it looked like a watering down of my truth. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've come to personally feel uh, since I've come out as an atheist has been that That's really, in my opinion, and I don't have any scientific data to back this up, but I feel like eventually what we're seeing now in Christianity is its eventual death throes. I don't think we'll ever lose religion as a whole, Mm -hmm. but I think its major hold on societies are going to change in the coming, you know, decades you look at the number of of ways that you can decipher one book the bible Mm -hmm. and break it down into thousands and thousands of denominations that believe distinctly different things about the same text
2: and and nowadays the the real death knell of it is the fact that science can disprove most of the things that these holy books say happen i mean say that it, it basically cannot happen and uh, where science falters philosophy can step in like uh, david hume said that we can't have religious or we can't have miracles true miracles because the story of a miracle somebody telling you the story of a miracle uh, would have um, would have to have more believable the miracle would have to be more believable than the fact that somebody could lie about sure. it or make it up sure. is what he said and he Absolutely. said that 200 years ago so philosophy fills in an awful lot where where science doesn't have the the data Absolutely. to back it up.
3: Yeah, so you know, I spent time in, in middle school with this young uh, creationist propaganda, and and throughout high school with it, and you know, I I, I just kind of let it, you know, like a duck, let it roll off my back, and not really pay too much attention to it. But there was this constant indoctrination of scripture um, dress code. Um, it just constantly there was always a, some sort of control mechanism mm-hmm. in place to keep keep your thoughts on one particular subject your, your most important subject of the day wasn't math or science it was scripture mm-hmm. um, as a matter of fact one of my elective studies uh, was uh, the life of Christ um, there was an entire you know a two semester course on the life of Christ um, so there's a very conscious uh, effort in indoctrination in this particular brand of of, of homeschooling and uh, Christian school curriculum, but um, they say it's an accelerated education, um, but it really, it really retarded my. It, it's uh, like a
2: stop sign for regular it, education. It really
3: is. It mm-hmm. really is. As a matter of fact, I went in after uh, after I got out of high school. I tested out uh, at a lower grade level than I should have because of this mess that they were teaching me. I later on had to go out and get my GED. To kind of compensate for the ridiculousness of what you've been taught. So.
2: Right. You were talking about your first doubts, and uh, it was because of uh, the secular upbringing that you had, and then getting into a cre- creationist. Right. But you weren't you taught f- about um, Santa Claus growing up, and and have that kind of foundation.
3: I did. You know, um, you know, like most kids, you know, there was the the you know Santa Claus is bringing your toys at Christmas, and oh, you lost a tooth. Here comes the tooth fairy, and, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. Um, I, for some strange reason, had this inherent doubt or um, always questioning. So those fairy tales never really made sense to me either. The difference between what I was taught via religion and what I picked up via culture and in casual passing about fairy tales that we grew up with is that there was this conscious effort to convince me that the religious dogmas were true. Um, so that really changes the way you think about things. Your your room for doubt shrinks when you're indoctrinated um, because you're given consequences if you doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's an eternal punishment waiting for you if you choose to have a different thought than what occurs in your Bible. There's not that consequence when you decide not to believe in the Easter Bunny. Um, uh,
2: you don't get your quarter. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: You know. Uh, so there's not that. Uh, there's not that you know, overbearing and overwatching uh, thinking with, you know, your common myths. But mm-hmm. religion has kind of, uh, I guess, put, it, put itself in a place where it has this control mechanism built right into the book that allows um, folks who would want to use it for nefarious purposes or even out of pure honesty uh, wanting to save people from an eternal punishment. Right. They've got this thing built right in. So it... it, it yeah. It works out really well for profiteers in, in, in religion because they've got this automatic, well, you know, there is no go-out-of-jail-free card except, you know, coming to church and, and being a member and paying tithes. And believe what we tell you believe. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: That's always got me about, about religion. Um, they will tell you that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. But if you study the scriptures and, and you study what it says in the Bible, it really doesn't matter what you do. No. It's what you believe. Absolutely. And... And to me, that's that's always been like the Tinkerbell effect. Have you ever seen yes. uh, uh, Peter Pan, you know, Tinkerbell drinks his poison and everybody in the audience has to believe to make her well again. And, I mean, why would God put us on the earth and then make believing in him the criteria to getting into heaven. Well, sure. I mean, uh, why give us Ten Commandments at all? If it's just belief. Sure, and, and,
3: and if that was the case, if if the only criteria for salvation in the biblical sense was just belief, it would make sense to me that if, if God is love is the way that Christianity proclaims and the Bible even proclaims that God is love, if God was love, in my mind, he would make it undeniably real that his existence is true. There would be no question about it he, mm-hmm. would make his, his, he would make his presence absolutely known without having to take any major leaps of faith as it is right. and, and he would just say hey look here i am believe in me and you'll be saved yes. that seems like the simple logical uh train of thought but religion doesn't take that train of thought it requires belief without any proof mm-hmm. whatsoever
2: mm-hmm. belief without proof yeah. Um, which which is faith and it's always struck me that with faith you could choose to believe any religion absolutely and it would you know. matter of fact any religious leader will tell you that you have to have faith to believe in their religion and follow their religion etc etc and if that's true and you just got to have faith and faith makes it true then why not believe in the religion that's less um Commanding uh, that, that maybe a religion that doesn't have a hell, sure, you know, like Unitarianism or Universalism, right. Right. you know, uh, where everybody goes to heaven, you know, it, just have system, faith, just have faith, just have faith. Believe, that's all you need. Believe, and that's all you need. Yeah.
3: I yeah. had a friend um, who I, I was a former church goer with me growing up, a couple of years older than I was, and he sent me a message on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and he presented uh, his question to me, which turned out to be Pascal's Wager which was, wouldn't it be better for you just to simply believe in God mm-hmm. and and not have a need to, than to have needed to believe in God and not done so and, and be punished for doing so? Mm-hmm. And my response to him was, well, you know, sure, okay, belief, is, if that's what I need to do is believe, well, can you help point me in any direction as to what I should believe? Because there's a lot out there to believe in that claims to be a pathway to mm-hmm. salvation. Uh, with that many choices, you know, I, I would have very small enough uh, opportunity to be right. There's mm-hmm. going to be a very small cross-section of these things that can be true. If any of them are true, at most, only one of them could be true.
2: Right. Well, the thing about it is, uh, I've talked about Pascal's wager on this show a lot. Uh, the first question that comes to mind is, which God? I yes. mean, Pascal was a Christian, so he's talking about the Christian God. But uh, a Sunni could say the same thing about Allah, or a uh, a Hindu could say the same thing about Koresh or whatever. Or his name. Chris
3: Lamas. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. To say and like God say, period.
2: Mm-hmm, right. And not only that but you couldn't just believe. in... Well, first of all, belief is not a choice. Right. You believe things that you are convinced of true. Mm-hmm. Now, for somebody come to me and held a gun to my head and said, you know, you have to believe or I'm going to blow your brains out, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I believe.
3: I'm going to lodge in my teeth. <laughs> I lied.
2: But I mean, could you literally believe something that you didn't believe in just to win a bet? Which is basically what this all this is, absolutely, well, not only that, but it if it's not Yahweh, it could be some God that we've never heard of absolutely. It may maybe a God out there, is we've interpreted it all along and all, all wrong in all the different religions, and he's just out there laughing at us or saying. See, you should have believed, you should have found me by now. Sure. <laughs> Something or or like maybe that. the pantheists are yeah. right. you know,
3: I mean, yeah. Maybe we missed it all together.
2: Well, not only that, but even in Christianity, just believing in God would not get you into heaven. Yeah. You've got to buy the whole thing. You've got to buy salvation and sin and resurrection and believing in Jesus. And, and then the you've got, the you
3: got to sort through the, the, the myriad of, of 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 ways that you've been told to be saved. Um, there are multiple ways that Jesus said a man comes to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, there wasn't just one way. The only way he ever said that there was one way was through him. But there was all these other prerequisites that were displayed throughout the New Testament that suggested, here's how you have to be saved. Well, which one of those even do I choose? Do I mm-hmm. choose the one that says I should be baptized one way or the other? Uh-huh. Should I choose the one that says simply believe or works mm-hmm. Works are useless? Right. Or works are going to prove out your, your, your destination? Which one of these things oh. should I buy into?
2: Right. And the thing about it is, all of it goes out the window if there are no such things as souls. Yes. And I don't believe that there's a soul. I don't believe that soul, people have souls any more than any of the other animals do. If, and if,
3: there's, if, if there's anything that we can relate to a soul, I would think it would be consciousness. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah but your consciousnesses depend on the living brain.
3: Absolutely. If Underneath it. It, it goes yeah. away. Uh, I, I was intrigued to read this week that um, anesthesiologists don't really know where consciousness goes when you go under anesthesia. This was a fascinating thing to me to understand that modern science really does not understand the very personal thing that makes of who we are, which is our our personal consciousness. Well, I
2: think it's the very phrase, where consciousness goes. I think it's just suspended or suppressed. Sure. I don't think it goes anywhere. Right. Uh, A lot of people talk about out-of-body experiences. You know, I had an out-of-body experience. Well, let's test that. Matter of fact, we have tested that before. We'll take like a piece of paper and write a word on it and put it on the top of a, a dresser or top of a cabinet in the operating room and ask them to read it when they're out of the body you know when they're hovering at the top of the room they should be able to read it and nobody's ever been able to do that surprise yeah we're at the bottom of the hour so i'm going to take just a second to give a station identification and play a couple of um messages and a song uh this is the Free Thought Radio Hour on WOZO Low Power FM and 103.9 live in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is Doubter 5 and the Bearded Boy Scout. And uh here's a few messages for you and a song. The song will be Chibawumbas, We Don't Go to God's House Anymore.
0: area and are questioning your religious beliefs or simply believe in one less god than everyone else well you're not alone the atheist society of knoxville is a fun and friendly group of people just like you that meets twice a week at a bar or restaurant we meet every tuesday night following the show at barley's tap room and pizzeria for happy hour you'll find our group either inside or on the patio Look for Richard Dawkins' silver-jacketed book, The God Delusion, standing upright on the table. But if you plan to preach, proselytize, provoke or punch, please don't. We all question what we believe at one point in our lives. If this is the time for you, come join us for food, drink, conversation and fun.
1: Are you going to a dance?
0: No, Mom, it's just a
1: movie day. oh.
0: Your father and I have no objections to church or school sponsored dances, but we surely don't want you going to any of those local places like that super club. scientific method over supernatural beliefs are you concerned about religious leaders and organizations imposing their values and rules on your body your family and the rest of our society well take comfort in the fact that you're not alone the rationalist of east tennessee meets weekly for fellowship and provides a forum for people who support skeptical thinking and rational discussion of these and other issues to find out more information or to find out about our next meeting visit us on the web at www.rationalist.org
2: And we're back. Um, this is Daughter 5 and the Bearded Boy Scout. We're talking about religion and particularly uh, the Bearded Boy Scouts' deconversion. Uh, we're going to take just a second, though, talk about the TV show, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, the Atheist Society of Knoxville and the Rationalists of East Tennessee uh, broadcast a TV show. It's a college live TV show every Tuesday from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock. It's broadcast on CTV. Uh, or ctv K-N-O-X, or ctv knox.org online and it's also on comcast channel 12 so you can see it broadcast or see it uh, streaming either way uh, we've been doing this for six years now uh, more than happy to have you call in and talk to us while we're on the air uh, the number will be displayed on screen and uh um, after the show you can always come down to Barley's Tap Room and Pizzeria which is in the old city in the old spaghetti warehouse building and uh, join us for dinner uh, it's a very relaxed environment we just sit around and uh, have a beer and pizza and, and chat but there's usually 25 to 30 of us down there uh, so all your friendly neighborhood atheists are gathered uh, every week at Tuesday at around 5.30 or 6 till about 8 o'clock or so so come on down. Okay. A great group of people too. Yeah, you you've uh, recently joined us. You you're a kind of a new deconvert, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm relatively new. Um, you know, in the last six months. Well. New to Knoxville. New to Tennessee. Moved here about yeah, a year ago. Yeah.
2: New to free thought and secularism. Very
3: much so. My first encounter with uh, secularism and free thought was Sam Harris, and I don't think I could have picked anybody better. He was uh, just a clear, really. Sound voice of reason uh, he wasn't yeah. quite as extreme as Hitchens right so he didn't turn me off right away right and, uh, if you things.
2: if you'd like to get a taste of uh, Sam Harris without reading one of his books, you can read a very short book called Letter to a Christian Nation and I think that's a, a wonderful introduction into his work and uh, his um, his ideas uh, <clears throat> let's talk about how you got out of of uh, religion sure can you go into that a little bit about maybe your either that or your youth pastor which preceded that
3: sure yeah I uh, after we got out of school um, you know I uh, went, just kept on going to church just trying to kind of work through the, the whole process of, of the doubts that were there in my mind You know, for the most part I would just kind of toss them in the back of my mind you know not spend too much time thinking on my doubts because you know those doubts lead to lead to bad things in religion so I just did what I thought was best and just tossed them um
2: That's thought control at its best. Yes, when you when they can get you to control your own thoughts, uh, any any doubts that come into your your brain, you just toss them out yourself before you actually they come to fruition.
3: Indoctrination is really evil. I mean, that's the only that's the only way I know how to explain it these days. Is I mean, if there is evil in this world, I think indoctrination is it. Um, you know, to create such an environment in a person's mind where they're willing to bend their own intellect to your will. That's powerful, and it's 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 never used for good. People don't really use indoctrination for good things. Um, they tend to use it for nefarious purposes, or personal gain, or to you know prove a point, or to keep something valuable alive that doesn't really deserve to be there. But um, so anyway, after after high school, uh, just kept doing what we were doing, just learning you know as much as we could about about religion and, and trying to keep the doubts as they come along put at bay. But uh, a few years later. Um, After I got married to a girl that I met at church, um, which I'm still married to after 10 years. Hi, Candy, if you're listening. Love you. Uh Um, But uh, we were asked to be the youth pastor at our church. Um, I'd been there for about 10 years at the time, and I was honored. Um, At the same time, I had slight reservations because of those doubts that were in my mind, but I just brushed those doubts off like anybody else, I think, in my position would have. Well, everybody has doubts. You know, everybody has doubts, I just don't express them. So I thought, well, I'll just be the youth pastor that has doubts and doesn't express them. So I spent a lot of my time as a youth pastor developing, you know, just really um, practical ideas about life. And then I'd take Bible verses and kind of overlay them over my principles and use that to illustrate. I never really pulled my um, my positions directly from the Bible. I would really use the Bible as a reference point, kind of like you would any other piece of literature. Know, if you were to, if you were to use the odyssey as a reference point for a talking point uh, on a practical application you would or shakespeare, you know, or, or, shakespeare like that. or whatever yeah. you know it, it, that's the kind of the value that the bible at that point held for me um it had good things in it i think all of literature church got good things and bad things about it um so it was just another piece of literature for me for the most part um, i didn't let it inform my ideas i let my ideas inform it and i think that's a lot of what some of the more liberal christian movements are doing today is they're letting their opinions inform their beliefs in the bible rather than the bible informing their beliefs for them but um i was uh i was sitting at home one night and uh, uh got a phone call from the pastor and uh he was kind of panicked on the other end and he went on to tell me that there was a, a girl in a youth group who had just uh made an accusation to the police of, of one of the children's ministers in the church inappropriately touching her. Um, that was really kind of the, the shock moment for me when, if anything was to give me permission to be extremely critical about what I was doing in religion, that was probably the moment. Um, I would later go on to to see this girl's life kind of crumble apart.
2: But you talked to the preacher while he was on the phone. I, I
3: did. I um, my first reaction is, you know, how can we not tell the parents about this? Um, because that was a suggestion to me is that, you know, we need to keep this under wraps. We need to kind of keep a lid on this as much as we could because the church had a name to preserve. Um, it could mean, you know, serious implications for the church in the future. And I wasn't on board with this thinking at all. I'm, I'm panicked in my brain going, how, how can we not tell the parents that the children's minister who has been working with their kids for the last several years, has just been accused by one of the children that's in my youth group that yeah. they've been inappropriately touched by.
2: And your preacher was on board with doing that. Yeah,
3: he was completely... It was, he his idea.
2: And if you think about that's exactly what the Catholic Church has been doing for, yes. what, hundreds of years now? Well, Thousands? Who knows? They're
3: looking to protect an image.
2: Right. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. th- there's a... So it's not just the Catholics, it's off on other, in the churches as well. It
3: is everywhere. Um, uh, there was a gentleman uh, who was who was sued by one of his uh another pastor in the same district that we were in was sued by one of his churchgoers um for defamation of character after he after she wouldn't follow his uh after after she wouldn't follow his ways of thinking about dress code uh he went on facebook and posted about how much of a
2: uh loose woman
3: loose woman she was and she later on went to successfully sue him for defamation of character um so that you know this type of
2: slander slander
3: is mm-hmm. available at, at any point in any religion any denomination of faith
2: mm-hmm. and these are your religious leaders doing it yes your religious people people a- who put themselves up as the moral guide for your community
3: absolutely and, you know being at the center of this world that for the most part most people aren't privy to um there is an inner circle of trust within leadership of every church there's a circle of people that have conversations about what you talk to the pastor about. Whether or not you know it, your pastor is not keeping your conversation secret. Um, he's having conversations with other people in his trusted circle about your situation because most of the time they're not clinical you know, uh, therapists. They're having to get input from other people because sometimes they don't know how to handle your situation. And this was very real. Uh, this happens... And not just the church that I was a part of, but it happened in other churches that I had been involved in after that point and before that
2: point. And one, th- one of the points I like to make is that in churches who have confessions, think about the amount of power that you're giving the religious leader when you give them all of your closest and dirtiest secrets. Yes. I mean, they th- could then turn around and use that against you. Um, to whatever ends that they want to achieve. Now, the Church of Scientology makes no bones about it. They, they have they record all of the sessions where you come in yes. and you do your uh, um, cleansing, I guess you'd call it, where you purge your secrets, so your deepest, darkest secrets, and you're on a lie detector at the same time. And they call it purging your soul of C, of thetans. Yeah. which are impurities that uh, have gotten into your soul. But think about the power that these people now have over all the members who have come in and entrusted them with their secrets. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's, I,
3: it's I often sh- wondered if L. Ron Hubbard was maybe uh, maybe a closeted Mormon um, because a lot of these ideas that he presented, which I know he was a sci-fi writer, but I often wonder because some of his ideas uh, have got tinges of, of Mormonism in them. It's just a, a curiosity to me. Hmm. But, uh, but uh, you know that from that moment on, that that uh, that indiscretion and then that betrayal of trust at that moment was really kind of the kind of the kicking down the door of opportunity for me. It was time for me personally to really examine what I believed, why I believed it, the people that I trusted, why did I trust them, why did I give people authority in my life? You know, these were all the things that kind of flooded past my now broken construct of faith you know faith for me was kind of this um, dam I like to use a dam analogy that holds back this reservoir of questions and the dam in my mind before this point had been divinely built by God and it was there to protect my my soul from, from yeah absolutely yeah. when I found out that my faith was really my personal human construct something I built to protect my reasoning from from this, for this religious viewpoint that I wanted to keep for, indo- from the indoctrination that was done, um, when these questions started mounting up, that dam cracked and it just exploded, mm. and, and down the river came all the questions that I'd yeah. been putting back in the back of my mind.
2: Yeah, um, you know Dan Barker, uh, he's the one of the co-presidents of the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Yes, uh, he started off as a preacher. Yes. Uh, he he preached both north and south of the border out there in california and mexico uh he was a youth minister and, and a minister and he started his own churches and he, the thing about it is he was so Im- into the fundamental part of it that every literal word in the bible was true yes. what what put a chink in his armor was then when he went to a different congregation he was invited to different churches and stuff and he found out that they're not teaching exactly the same thing they are and that they're giving special dispensation for this you know more liberal churches and stuff (coughs) and then he went back to his regular one and the 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 preachers of his regular church would say, well, you know, they're still going to heaven. They still have, you know, an understanding of Jesus as sacrifice for us and stuff and sin and all that. And he was like, wait a minute, I'm getting two stories. And that was the beginning of the change for him. And uh, now he's he's not only did he, as a young man, um, lose his faith and come out of the closet, the atheist closet, to his family, friends, and and church members, and uh, and business associates, uh, but his within two years, his parents were atheists. Wow! After, after he got to talking to him and told him, you know, that this is not necessarily so. Mm-hmm. You know, they they uh, they got got an understanding wow. from it, but it was not. Uh, he talked about the pain of the trans his transition in his book losing. I think it was losing faith in faith and. Uh, Oh, Can you talk about your transition?
3: uh? Yeah, you know, um, I had a, this experience lasted for a couple of, for about a year and a half I would say, um, into my youth pastoring career, where I was still really battling with with that indiscretion and what that meant for me, and all these questions started kind of piling up. And um, it just really was sort of weighing heavily on me. I began struggling with my sermons. Um, I, I wasn't driven to preach anymore, I just I was really losing all my steam, and I thought, okay, I'm just maybe I'm just being attacked by the enemy. That was my first thought. Maybe the devil is just coming after mm-hmm. me, and he's just trying to drag me down. Yeah. Um, and if you know, if there's somebody on the radio listening now, and you're a Christian, you might be thinking the same exact thing that, well, that was just the enemy. You know, Mr. Boy Scout, that was what was going on uh-huh. for you. But the reality for me um, was that no, it wasn't the enemy trying to drag me down. It was the reality of these hardships and what that meant. In reality, uh, to me and the people that it affected, um, it just it just really affected everything. Every aspect of my life, my work life changed. Um, I began to be irritable at work because I was struggling with my sermons at night, not sleeping, trying to get up the next morning and go to work. And and I worked with people in the church, so that was a double double whammy. Um, by the end of that short period of time, after a year and a half, I I, I just kind of reached a place where I was I was searching for an escape route.
2: Um, you said that short a year and a half of suffering is a good while. It, it
3: is a long time, you know. Um, it is a long time in the moment. In retrospect, now it was a lot shorter than than I think it was in the moment. Only because I think I, I try to put those painful memories in the past and not not weigh on them too much because they they, they hurt. I mean, uh, I still struggle with depression over. Um, some of the issues that took place back then because it was it was traumatizing for me and i wasn't affected as deeply as the young woman who was uh who was molested by this guy and uh as a matter of fact you know the guy's back in the church now as a as a lay member uh, at, he's a criminal sex offender
2: really um, and he's still in the church he's
3: still in the church um, I, i'm working on an active campaign to to at least have the truth exposed that this guy is, you know, who he is, yeah. and did what he did, and he's been allowed back yeah. into the congregation.
2: That's the thing about forgiveness, and I used air quotes there. Yeah. Um, it it lets the offender off yes. without without um, paying for his transgression. Yeah. Um, it it lets him f- be free to do it again yes. and again and again and again. This permission. uh huh,
3: yeah. and that's you know, that, that that weighed a lot on me and. I just kind of reached a point again where I was thinking, you know, I got to get out. And I, I, didn't, I didn't just think about religion. I was thinking, I got to get out of town. I got to get out of religion. I got to get out of faith. And I got to get some space between me and all this stuff. So I can figure out, you know, what's next for me. And uh, so I had a bad day at work one day. And I just kind of pushed it far enough where I had a, an argument with the owner enough to where he'd fire me. Mm. <laughs> and he did. Mm. And um, I went home to my wife and said, look, we're going to start packing. Uh, we're gonna put the house up for rent, and we're gonna we're gonna head north. Uh, my dad lived in um, uh, North line. is was, relative. Yeah, North is relative. <laughs> uh, I was going I was going south, but I had to go north to get there. Um, uh, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. But you were in Atlanta. Yeah, I was,
3: in Atlanta? I was in Atlanta, metro Atlanta, greater, uh, greater metro Atlanta area. Yeah, so
2: you came to n- north to Knoxville, well, which is still in Dixie. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I
3: actually moved to Telco Plains um, mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere for a year.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and that was kind of my seclusion period. And it was mm-hmm. during that time that I discovered Sam Harris and Hitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran across Jerry DeWitt, who... Really saved me from some of the darker places because he related to my experience in a real personal way. Yeah. And Jerry, uh, you, you may not be listening, but I'm forwarding this to you later. Um,
2: Jerry Dewitt is is an ex-preacher. Also, he's an atheist now, and he has gone. He was one of the first graduates, if not the first graduate, from the Clergy Project.
3: He was the first.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk about the Clergy Project?
3: Clergy Project provides assistance. Uh, some of the, actually, let me start off with who the founders were. If I'm thinking correctly, I know uh, Dan.
2: Daniel Dennett,
3: Daniel Dennett, mm-hmm. um, uh,
2: Dan Barker, Dan
3: Barker, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the, the lady's name. Uh-huh. The, there's a there's a female involved with the project as well, and then there's two um, unnamed ministers who are part of the founding uh, fathers and mothers of the um, of the clergy project, mm-hmm. um, and they provide assistance to people who are currently in active roles of ministry who can't really can't really afford just to drop everything in that moment.
2: But they're no longer believers. But they're no
3: longer believers. They are active ministries, still preaching in your pulpits every Sunday, but they no longer believe what they're preaching. Um, I would suspect that if you listen really careful to your preacher, you might could you might pick out that something's changed about him and his tone. Mm -hmm. Because this is not an uncommon thing.
2: No, currently enrolled in the clergy project, there are about 400 ministers who are currently in their jobs but no longer believe in... in the magic of uh, Christianity or whatever religion they happen to be preaching.
3: So the odds are getting higher that, that you may be sitting under an atheist pastor and not even know it.
2: Yeah. And those are the only, only the ones who can get into the clergy project. Absolutely. That, 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 by no means all of them. Not at all. So it could be five or six times as many of them out there actually preaching that uh, are no longer believers and just want to get out but can't. They're you know, trapped.
3: I was looking up, was I, I was bivocational. You know, I worked a full time job mm-hmm. outside of the church. And then I worked for free for the church, <laughs> which is kind of ironic now that I look back. I could have been no, killing It happens
2: me. a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there working for free for the church. Yeah.
3: Well, the folks at the top, you know, earn the income, and the folks that don't have as prominent of roles don't don't ever see it. In some cases, they the bigger the church, the more the, the more potential there is for the, the underlings to get paid positions, but. I was working 80 hours a week. I was working a a 40-hour-a-week job, and I was working almost 40 hours a week again in my youth pastoring roles, Mm -hmm. Um, because it wasn't just preaching. You know, it was counseling and people. Mm -hmm. It was planning trips. Right,
2: and that's another thing about the Pascal's Wager. You know, they say, if you believe and he's not real, then you haven't lost anything. (laughs) That's BS. You you can lose your tithes. You can lose your hours of of man hours of work. You can can actually get to the point where you could lose your life, like the people who did, the religious people who flew themselves into the buildings uh 9 or uh went to Jonestown Guyana they lost their lives down there how many of these people actually think that they're going to lose their lives just when when they yeah. first are introduced to that religion any religion yeah. and uh, later on they get so caught up in it that they like uh, Andrea Yates she drowned her own five children yeah. um
3: yeah, this, I- this idea that, that unrestrained belief doesn't carry any consequences is ridiculous. Yeah. B- Bill Marsh had a great clip from his film Religious. He's having a conversation with a Christian and the Christian makes a statement, you know, man, what if today's young people got that kind of belief under their belt and they just follow it to its extreme? And he then cuts to a video of a, a, a car being blown up by an I- IED. That is really the reality, yeah, and, that, and that's what Sam Harris presents mm-hmm. quite often. Is
2: debate. ISIS is acting on religious beliefs? They're they're acting on what it says to do in their holy book, Absolutely. and what their preachers, of course, read in the holy book and then tell them to do.
3: Absolutely, you know. So, so but you know, people often say, "Well, you know, belief is is harmless," but well, it's not. It is not. It is not when it's taken to its logical you know, extremes. Mm-hmm. When you follow literal interpretations of a text that tells you, you to stone people who are, you know, who, the, the Bible, for instance, says that if a, if a, if a woman is, is being raped and she doesn't cry out for help and she's engaged to another man to be wed, both she and the guy who raped her are to be stoned to death mm-hmm. because she didn't call out for help. Right. That's that's essentially saying that she consented yeah. to that encounter. I mean, yeah. when you take belief in in a very ancient document, very literally, you take it to its extreme, it does more harm than you can possibly imagine. And mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing today with ISIS and even in, in, in some of the past years with some of the Christian religious extremists uh, who are bombing abortion clinics and and the Westboro Baptist folks who are out protesting mm-hmm. uh, military funerals and, and homosexual weddings and, and you name it, this is the this is the very real consequence of unrestrained literal belief mm-hmm. in these these holy books. Yeah, and I've, it's dangerous.
2: I've written an article. If you go to my website, digitalfreethought dot com, and click on the blog button, you can look up an article called "The High Cost of Religious Belief." Uh, I highly recommend that you read it to see some of the things that we haven't talked about in the last hour. Uh, like the rampant misogyny in the Bible. Oh, yes. And, and in most uh, religions. Well, we've got less than two minutes left. Do you have any closing thoughts?
3: Well, yeah, I would just say that, um, you know, this is kind of my personal message. Um, I have just recently started the video uh, uh, blog on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Bearded Boy Scout. Um, I've. You know, started addressing some of these issues, some of the, the hypocrisies that exist in religion, some of the things that are you know um, are, are really um, the, the nail in the coffin for me of religious belief. And I think that if if you're struggling with your belief and you've got doubts running around in your mind. And and you want to know answers that maybe you haven't given yourself permission to look for yet. I encourage you, you know, go to Larry's uh, uh, Free Thought Forum page. Go to my uh, YouTube channel, did Boy Scout. Take a look at these things, and you know, know that you're not alone. You're not the only person who's dealing with these questions and these thoughts in your mind. You're not going crazy. You're not losing your mind. You're you're human, and you're experiencing a very human emotion of of, of doubt. Right. And it's not wrong to. It's not wrong to to
2: doubt, to question. And this is the Free Thought Radio Hour with Doubter 5 and the Bearded Boy Scout. Uh, Hopefully the Wombat will be back next week. And uh, we're going to sign off with Quiet Company and set your monster free. See you next week.
1: Daughter, I once had such desire to believe that our lives had been planned out by an unseen deity. But you don't have to waste your time holding on to be.